This is the Water Into Wine podcast. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be describing a journey that I've been on over the past 12 years, telling you about how I started off as a non-believer in the spirit world and ended up as a believer. I'll give you all the clues you need to go and verify this for yourself and go and research for yourself as well, because I don't expect anybody to listen to what I say and just believe it. But I do want you to go and look for yourself because you'll find everything's there. Now, you can find the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and SoundCloud. Just search for Water Into Wine podcast. Welcome to episode five of the Water Into Wine podcast. Now, over the coming weeks, I'm going to tell you, well, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a lot of what's taken me 12 years now to, to research and find. Um, and if you've been following the podcast, you'll know it started with the murder of my best friend in a, in a hostel, a youth hostel. And it's led me to uncover huge amounts of knowledge from biblical history. Now, last week we discussed the Knights Templar. So I just really want to finish off about the Knights Templar before we go any further. So I'll, I'll start the way I finished last week. Now, inside a Masonic lodge, the lodge is always closed using the same sentences. Nothing now remains, but according to ancient custom, to lock up our secrets in a safe repository. Now, it took me quite some time and loads of research to find out that the Ark of the Covenant was also called a safe repository. So in simple terms, the Ark was a vessel used to house particular sacred objects. The reason the Ark was called a safe repository was specifically because of the objects it was supposed to have housed and the effects that it had on people that went near it that wasn't supposed to go near it. So back to the effects that it housed, as well as the brass rod of Aaron, which was the staff carried by Moses' brother, Aaron, which was alleged to hold power. There was a jar of manna, which we now know as an algae-type food, and two stone tablets, which we're led to believe were the Ten Commandments. I don't think they were the Ten Commandments, but come back to that in a second. In Hebrews 9.2, it says, For a tabernacle was prepared. In the first part were the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the holy place. After the second veil was the tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which was a golden pot holding the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Now, I struggled to understand originally how the Ark was safe until I started reading the biblical accounts of what happened to people who touched the Ark without permission. Samuel 6.6, this is from. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put forth his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the cattle stumbled. The anger of Yahweh, which is the, the biblical name for God, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and there he died by the Ark of God. Now in one of the accounts, someone's fingernails fell off and all their hair fell out because they touched it. Now, that immediately brings to my mind something that's radioactive because that's what happens with radioactive substances. Your hair falls out and your, your nails fall out too. Now, this would definitely make whatever's inside safe. Priests couldn't even go near it without wearing special robes and being properly prepared. Now, in the 1998 book, The Holy Grail, Chalice or Manor Machine, by Dr. Johann Feeberg and Peter Feeberg, 
the authors speculate that the jar of manna was actually a manna-making machine which was powered by a radioactive power source and they reconstruct the entire machine by using descriptions held within the Kabbalah, which is the Jewish traditional knowledge kept secret until the 13th century. Now the authors, very, very intelligent men, the authors go as far to suggest that the radioactive power source combined with the morning dew produced algae. As we know now, algae is the manna. This algae or manna, which was full of nutrients, could sustain life for long periods. Now, after a little bit of research, I also found out that NASA is using and studying this exact algae even today, and they're doing this as a way of feeding astronauts the protein and vitamins they need to survive for long periods of time in space. And German biochemist Otto Henrik Warburg, awarded the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine, researched chlorella algae, aka manna. Now, many people that research these algae believe that chlorella can serve as a source of food, as it's approximately 45% protein, 20% fat, 20% carbohydrates, 5% fiber, and 10% minerals and vitamins. It's also a blue-greeny type color. Again, there's no reason in this instance to interpret manna from heaven as anything other than a substance created by a magical power, or so-called magical power of the time. Manna may not have been a metaphor, but a real substance, which our contemporaries are studying today. The authors of the book go on to say that, according to legends and poems of the time, this was in fact the Holy Grail, and the Templars brought it back to France and were rewarded for their efforts. I don't think it was the Holy Grail. I don't think it was. I, I find it very difficult to believe that this has anything to do with what we've told the Grail has got to do with plates, um, uh, cauldrons and cups and I'll, I'll come back to that uh, next week we're going to be talking about witchcraft and the and the old rituals and I'll come back to that and touch on the subject again now according to the bible manna was the food that God supplied to the Israelites during their 40-year travels in the desert Moses walked the Hebrews out of Egypt to build the new Egypt Jerusalem and the ark was definitely with them so it had to be an Egyptian artifact just want to touch on a subject here there's no um, archaeological evidence that Moses ever existed Moses is a title it's not a name it's never been a name it's a title it means sacred leader it's only in modern times that we've started using it as a name but you go back then an Egyptian Pharaoh used to be called Moses because he was the sacred leader because of this um, uh, ritual of the twice born that he went through to become a pharaoh so he was called the Moses the sacred leader now there's quite a few people and I'll touch on this a little bit later on in, in a, a later podcast that say Moses and the Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten were the same person um, even even Sigmund Freud actually wrote a book that I'll tell you about saying that Moses was one of the followers of Akhenaten. Now, Akhenaten um, was the person that invented the one true God. And I'll, I'll tell you more about him. He was Tutankhamun's father. Now, Akhenaten, we know, led Egyptians out of Upper and Lower Egypt to produce the New Egypt, which was called Armana, A-R-M-A-N-A, -A -A, Armana, which was dedicated to the uh, sun god 
no, not the sun god, the sun disc, that's right. The Arten, the sun disc. So it does seem it does seem right that it's either a follower of Akhenaten, Moses I'm talking about now, because all the story fits at that part. Yes, he did lead people out. Uh, and just one other thing I want to mention here, there was never, ever, ever, ever a tribe called Hebrews. They were called the Habaru. Now you can understand how that name got changed over time. So Moses, or Akhenaten, walked the Habaru out of Egypt to build the new Egypt, which we're led to believe is Jerusalem, which wasn't, it was Armana. And the ark was definitely with them, so it had to be an Egyptian artifact. Now, if the jar of manna was a machine held within the ark, this would apparently, whimsical speculation, because we're talking about a machine in 1500 BC, um, it would be far less fetched than might initially be supposed. Suppose the story of manna were real. Just supposing that. This means they had radioactive material back then. In one of the legends about the Emerald Tablet, it was said that Hermes or Toth, as the Egyptian called him, who also carved the tablet, then gave the tablet to Miriam, who was Moses' daughter. And he gave it to her for safekeeping, and she put it in the ark. Now there's speculation and legends to say that there was more than one Emerald Tablet. So could the Emerald Tablets, Emerald Tablets of Toth, and what we think of as the Ten Commandments, the, 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 um, uh, the, 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 the Covenant, could it be the same thing? Could the Ten Commandments and the Emerald Tablet be exactly the same thing? I think they were. Some historians of the occult agree that the Emerald Tablet was found under the Great Pyramid of Giza in 1350 BC. But one thing that keeps coming back time and time again is that the tablet was in fact radioactive. Now if this were true, it could have well been the power source of the Ark. The Bible tells us that the Ark was built to a specific design, very specific design, which was given to Moses from God on Mount Sinai. Um, now that isn't as, when you find out, when I tell you what, the, what I think the, the Holy Grail actually is, God giving Moses the, 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 um, the idea to build this ark isn't such a stupid idea. It, it fits with what I'm going to tell you it is. But I won't be doing that today. Keep listening to the podcast and I'm leading up to it. Uh, Moses was also told to bake it from thick shitting wood, which is acacia wood. All the wood and the bushes around um, Egypt around that time were all the acacia trees, which is the, uh, a sprig of acacia is very, very... Uh, it's a very big symbol for Freemasons. And it was actually plated with a thick layer of gold, with two gold rings on either side that were where two staves of shitting wood were inserted. Uh, and they were put there to carry it. He was also told that these were not to be removed under any circumstances. On the top was a lid, again made from shitting wood and plated with thick gold, on which two cherubim were modelled out of gold and mounted. You've seen plenty of, you've only got to Google Ark of the Covenant and you'll see exactly what I'm, what I'm describing to you. Now, the priests were the only people allowed to approach the Ark of the Covenant. And even then, they had to wear special breastplates to cover them and cover themselves in oil. And the breastplates were actually uh, smothered in semi-precious stones. Access to the Ark was restricted to only the highest priest and then only once a year. 
Now, if the Ark wasn't actually radioactive, this struck me as a really unnecessary, cautious way of approaching a wooden box. Basically, that's what it is, with gold over it. If, however, it were radioactive, these precautions begin to sound a bit reasonable, don't you think? Now, until recently, I understood that lead was necessary to prevent radioactive contamination. But I was wrong. It seems this depends upon the source of radioactivity. Now, there's a few different types of radiation, and each type needs different shielding. Um, the following explanation I'm going to tell you was taken from a post by William Lorenzen, who works at a children's hospital in the Radiation Safety Unit, and you can actually find it on www.madsci.org. Apparently, there are four types of radiation. Alpha and beta radiation, they can carry electrical charge, but gamma and X-ray radiation are electromagnetic. Now, this means that the materials used to shield them will be different. Alpha radiation can only travel a very short distance in the air and is stopped very easily by putting a few sheets of paper in its way. But beta radiation needs a few centimetres of wood or an equally dense material. When people touch the Ark of the Covenant, they clearly experienced electrical discharge, perhaps something corresponding with alpha or beta radiation. Algae grows in sunlight not because of the light, but because of the radiation rays emitted from the sun. So, if the emerald tablet was radioactive, this would have created the conditions necessary for the well-documented effects that were associated with the Ark, and could also have been the power source of a mana machine. Now, if this is conceivable, the emerald tablet could have helped grow algae on which Moses could have expected his people to survive in the desert. Don't you find this quite disturbing? We're going back to between 13 and 1500 BC. Our view of history is that we're now the cleverest of all men, that science has flown like an arrow from its primitive origins and still speeds towards a world in which we may eat artificially grown foodstuffs, freed from the need to exhaust the world's soil. If the Emerald Tablet and the Ten Commandments were the same thing, that could explain why the Templars held such unorthodox and clearly Egyptian-inspired beliefs, in defiance of the church. It might also explain why the Templars put an article belonging to Hermes, Toth, the stonemason who carved the emerald tablet, around the waist of Baphomet, the rod of Hermes. The Ark was last heard of in Solomon's temple, which, as I've mentioned previously, was supposed to have been built on the mount in Jerusalem. When the Babylonians went to raid the temple, the Ark had disappeared, and nobody has heard of it since. So let's have a quick review of our case. The Templars were digging under the mount. That's, that's fact. They found something of import, importance. That's semi-fact. They stopped digging one day. That's all we know. They changed the shape of their cross to resemble the Great Pyramid in Giza after finding what they found. They worshipped Baphomet. And they followed unorthodox, heretical beliefs at the time. Now, there has never been any solid proof that Solomon's temple ever existed. However, could it have been instead an allegorical story that pinpointed instead the place in which the Ark was held? If this was the case, would the Pope have known this? Could there have been a scroll that was brought and housed in the Vatican that, when deciphered, explained it? Could the artefact the Pope wanted the Templars to retrieve have been the Ark, or possibly the scroll itself? written confirmation of everything. 
At the very least, I'd suggest that the Bible is a mixture of literal but often obscured truths and also a web of allegories that conceal borrowed religious practices, both interwoven into Christian beliefs by the Council of Nicaea and by the authors preceding even that date. I think there's every ground for belief that the Ark actually existed as an artefact and still does for that fact, and that there's a church in Ethiopia where the Ark had its last resting place, and some people say that the Ark is still there. Uh, in Ethiopia, um, which, which uh, the whole of the African continent was, was once called Ethiopia, but now Ethiopia is, a, Ethiopia is a very, very small part of the African continent. Now, in a place called Aksum, go and look at a place called Aksum in Ethiopia. There is a very small, square, white church there with a dome roof. It's got, um, uh, it's got a fence running round it, round it that's very high with barbed wire across the top. And there's one priest that lives there, one and he never, ever, ever leaves the confine of the building and the, and the uh, fence. That is where all the legends and rumours say the Ark of the Covenant is held. And that is also where, when you look at the pictures of Jesus Christ in the other churches around the area, very highly Christian area, um, there, he's, he's black, he's, he's jet black, and so is the Virgin Mary, jet black. So that's, that's the Ark of the Covenant. I think the Templars found, they found a scroll. That's what I think, I believe. Some written confirmation that held within it the ritual of the twice-born. And within that would be, they would be revealing what we know now as the Holy Grail. So I think, yes, the Templars did find a Holy Grail. It's not a cup. It's not a chalice, uh, it's not a plate, it's not a cauldron, but it, I think it is something that encompassed all those things, as I've said before. I think it was collected on a large plate. I think it was brewed up in a cauldron, and I think it was administered with a cup. That's it for this week's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, next week, I'm going to be talking about ritualistic events in history, um, namely the witch hunts and I'm going to give you my personal opinion as to what the witch hunts were actually all about why they were started and why they hunted down these these people and killed them so that's it from the water into wine podcast for this week I hope you've enjoyed this one have a fantastic week and I'll speak to you next week <music>